great. Series on worship. Uh, it's, um, I don't know about you, it's flown by for me. Um, let me just make some space here so I can. Is, am I right here, Seb? Thank you. I s- Maybe it's just I can hear myself close. I don't know. Am I booming? Okay, all right. My deep voice, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, mate. I'll pay you later. Um, <laughs> we've been looking at all kinds of things, haven't we, in terms of worship? We've been looking at speech, how we use our speech as worship, time, work, sex. This week is food. Um, it's going to be a big one, I think. Lord's as I was preparing this, spoke to me about somebody here who has an eating disorder, but it's, it's in disguise. To the extent that you're even, um, you're even pretending to yourself that you don't. So no one would particularly say this person has an eating disorder. It's not blatant, but there's a lack of reality going on. And the Lord wants to bring some freedom to you today from that. And I want to just pray right away now that the Lord would break whatever is behind that. And then, I'm not expecting you to give a testimony straight away. But when you see what God has done, I'd love you to come and testify. Because it builds faith and people realise that it wasn't just an empty prayer that went into nowhere, but that God did something at that moment. And God wouldn't have revealed this to me if he didn't want to do something about it. So, let's just be before God and I want to just pray into this and see, uh, really just to see you, I think part of it is you acknowledging that it's there. And then once that's been done, the Holy Spirit can just come in, can't he, and bring freedom there. So, Father, we just thank you that you just love us to walk in freedom. You're amazing. You so want to deliver us from all kinds of different captivities and slaveries. Thank you, you're the liberator, Lord. You set us free. Thank you, Jesus. You, you promised that. The Son sets you free. You'll be free indeed. I want to pray for whoever this person is right now that has an eating disorder in disguise. It's been covered over, justified, reasoned out, but there it is. And we thank you, Lord, that you expose these things because you want to bring us through to a place of true healing and true freedom. We don't have to pretend. And now whatever is behind this eating disorder, whatever it's rooted in, whatever is the source of it, whatever is the reason for it, I take authority over in the name of Jesus and I break it right now. In the name of Jesus, whether it's fear, deception, whatever is at its root, in Jesus' name, we take authority over it. We say it must be broken and gone right now. I pray for a a, a miraculous, gracious gift to be given, even now to this person, that they would start to think differently. That there would just be a, gr- a grace window that you give, Lord, where they would be able to suddenly, this, this whole, they just look at, that, look at it differently. And we pray, Lord, for ongoing freedom, for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Please come and testify when you're walking in freedom from this. Don't be ashamed. It would just give so much glory to God. And it just builds encouragement and faith among us as a community. We're contending for four things with this worship series. Number one, that... Um, Forgotten. <laughs> well, I know, but I want to get them in the right order. Number one, we're made to worship. We're programmed to worship. Um, we can't help but get passionate and devote ourselves to something or things. Actually, to, I would say, actually, I would say to one thing. 
Jesus himself said, you can't serve God and money. You'll either love one and hate the other. The human heart can only really be devoted to one thing. Why? Because you're made to worship the one God. You're not made to worship a plethora of hobbies and things. You're made to worship God. That's what you're programmed for. Number two, worship is 24-7. It's not just singing songs for two hours on a Sunday. Oh, God forbid that. It's 24-7. It's, 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 it captivates you. What, the object of your worship, you, you love what you worship. You think about it when you're not thinking about anything. Your eyes light up when you talk about it. You love to talk about what you worship. Thirdly, the object of your worship is the difference between life and death. Whether you worship the creator or what is created is the difference between life and death. And fourthly, that a way has been made for us, but not by us, that we can be restored to true worship. I want to bring a fifth element in today, particularly on the subject of food, and it's this. True worship brings true freedom. To worship God in spirit and in truth brings true freedom to a, a deeper level. My theory is this, that many Christians operate in this way. They know they should be free, and so they try and convince themselves that they are. And they're satisfied with that. Rather than actually coming into the experienced freedom that God has brought for them, and Jesus brought for them at the cross, and actually living in the good of that. So it's not just covering over loads of stuff with pretense, but actually that get, the pretense gets taken away, and then the, the issues, the core issues, by the power of the gospel, get broken into, and healing comes, and liberty comes, and then out of that comes true freedom. That's what God wants to do. And sometimes we fear what's in there, what's in our heart, what's in our mind, so we just put stuff on top and then Christianise it, say hallelujah at the end and we think we're walking in freedom. That's not how it works. That is not how it works. Now we're a free society, aren't we? But freedom without the gospel quickly turns into slavery. Let me um, illustrate. We're allowed to drink alcohol in our country, unlike, for example, Saudi Arabia. And yet the AA meetings are overflowing. Okay? So it's freedom to drink alcohol, but it very quickly becomes slavery to alcohol. Or we are sexually, uh, in quotes, liberated country, but so many are enslaved to pornography, to sexual vice, prostitution, compulsive behaviour, etc. In our country we are free to eat whatever foods we like, and yet many are slaves to their appetites. We have a significant and growing problem with obesity. We're not as free as we proclaim. Listen to John Stott on this. He says, There are many slaves in our society today. They proclaim their freedom with a loud voice. They speak of free love and a free life, but in reality they are slaves to their own appetites, to which they give free reign simply because they cannot control them. Food. For many it's a subject of, it's a source of slavery, mastery, guilt, shame, in the Bible, food is associated with what? Celebration. Friendship. Blessing. Positive. Very, very positive. Now, if people get it wrong about food, it tends to come from two angles. And we're going to look at those two angles today. And as we look at them, we'll, we'll, we'll understand what the right approach to food is. Um, I want to just say this at the start. Your eating habits, the way you approach food, the way you enjoy food, can be redeemed and can become as worshipful as any other part of your life. I want you to believe that. I want you to be in faith for that. 
If you're here as someone who doesn't believe, maybe you're not even a believer at all, you're thinking, how is this relevant for me? I've come to find about Jesus, and you're talking about food. <laughs> What's the deal here? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what the deal is. Um, hopefully today's sermon will help you to understand God's desire to make everything in our lives glorious. That is really God's will. And rather than simply to add a bit of religion to your life, he wants to infuse your life with life to the full. He wants to infuse your existence with glory. So that every part of who you are and what you do becomes worshipful. Does that sound good? I'll tell you what, it is incomparable. There's nothing that comes close to what God does in our lives through the gospel, which we'll look at as we look at food. So what's the first wrong approach to food? Here it is, to be governed by rules. Either self-imposed rules, religious rules, ethical rules regarding food. They can be obvious, or they can be very subtle. An obvious one would be if you're part of another religion which has particular constraints. It's obvious, there it is, you're not allowed, for example, to eat pork. If you're a Jew or a Muslim, or if you're a Hindu, uh, beef. I mean, that, they're, they're clear, okay? Or it can be much more subtle, and it works like this. There's something going on inside, you don't even quite know why yourself, but you feel guilty when you eat that kind of food. You're under a guilt on particular kinds of food. You don't even know why yourself. Maybe you just got sewn in, someone said some stuff, maybe parents or whatever, and it's like, oh, no, I mustn't do that. And it's like, oh, well, why? Well, I don't know. Rules. So let's trace it biblically. See what the Bible teaches about food. Should we do that? Alright, well let's go back, shall we, originally, as we always do, to Genesis. Genesis 1, verse 29. God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. Um, bad news, carnivores, we were originally created vegetarian. Yes, we were. We were. Before, this is before the fall, this is God's um, perfect, ideal plan, he created us vegetarians. Everyone's like, oh no, I thought it was going to be encouraging this message. Steak! Maybe you could do some kind of, I don't know, bean loaf or something in, in there, in place of it. But this was God's, this is God's original plan. So um, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and many of the other generations following up to a point which we'll look at in a minute would have eaten only um, vegetables and fruit. And then um, we get Noah, and when Noah comes out of uh, the ark, there's a fresh covenant made, and this is what God says to Noah, Genesis chapter 9, verse 3. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. (laughs) And as I gave you, and as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Okay? So there's a, now what you've got to notice, it's very important, you've got to track it, it's a covenant change. It's a covenant change. It's not just, it's not just oh yeah, Adam and Eve are vegetarians, but we, could, we, we eat meat now. Well, no, why? It's, it's in there. It's in the Bible. God says there's a new covenant. And it's very similar to the covenant with um, Adam and Eve. Go forth and multiply the words. Oh, yeah, it's a brand new start. The whole of the earth has been destroyed except for, Adam, except for Noah and his wife, their three sons and their three wives. So it's, an, it's a fresh genesis, if you like. And it's a fresh commission. Now, why does God change it from vegetarian to uh, omnivore? It never gives us the reason. I think, I, I, can give you, I can give you a speculative reason, but I cannot endorse it scripturally, but it may help to make sense of it. It's something at least to start your thinking on. And it's this, I think that perhaps the flood was so catastrophic that it, it 
altered the environment of the earth in more ways than we can begin to imagine. For example, why was it that people lived to around about eight or 900 before the flood? And after that, it drops to about 125. It, it could be... It, the, the, um, when the flood, it talks about the waters above the heavens um, breaking in on the flood as well as the fountains of the deep. It could well have been that there was a, a, a water canopy around the earth which had made a very different environment. People lived, lived longer and could have been, you know, gained all the health and nutrition they need simply from vegetarian food. So it could have been that the, the whole of the earth's um, environment was changed so dramatically that actually um, we would benefit from the protein, etc., from meats in a way that we wouldn't have needed to before. That's just a thought. But anyway, for whatever reason, it changes. Then we get to Moses. And um, the people of Israel are rescued from Egypt. And there's another covenant, the Sinaitic covenant, or the covenant, the Mosaic covenant, whatever word you want to use, where God takes out this chosen people of Israel and he gives them all the laws of Ten Commandments. And then there's food laws. He goes through a huge list of, of what they can eat and what they can't eat and sums it up here, Leviticus 11, 46 to 47. This is the law about beast and bird, every living creature that moves through the waters, every creature that swarms on the ground, to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean, between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. So Genesis 9, I give you everything, now it changes again. Okay? So now it's not back to vegetarian, but what it is now is this, there are certain foods that are clean and certain foods that are unclean. Why? No reason given. But we can speculate. I think here what I would say is this, is that the, the heart of the, this covenant with the people of Israel under Moses was to show they were different from the nations surrounding them. There were certain moral laws that God gave them that were in stark contrast to the nations around them, which continue. But there are also these other dietary laws and various ceremonial things that the reason's never given and you don't know why. And it seems that, as we'll see in a moment, these things are then superseded in the New Testament. But for a period they're given... And it's to mark them out. These people are a marked people. They're distinctive. It's pointing towards, it's a shadow, it's a type, if you like, a foreshadowing of the people of God in the New Covenant who are distinct. But here it, it, it breaks out on ceremony, hygiene and even diet. So that, as I think, is the closest reason we will get for that. Then we get to Jesus. And in Mark chapter 7, we see Jesus speaking. Jesus says this. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? This is huge. Cannot defile him. Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Very practical. In brackets, thus he declared all foods clean. That is a massive verse. That is huge. It would have been Blatantly huge to the first century Jew, but to Christians who find themselves living under these strange rules, you need to meditate on this. There's freedom here. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride and foolishness. All these evils come from within and they defile a person. So we, you've, I'm just trying to help you to track the thing so you understand it biblically. Okay? At this point you might think, well, you know, where's this going? But I want you to understand the history of this and why some, even Christians, would be funny about certain kinds of foods because they're living out of an old covenant mentality. Yeah? They've not taken to heart passages like this. It's 
very, very important. Um, any area of slavery in our life, God wants to really renew our minds on robustly so we can withstand it, so we don't come under it. It's ever so important. To the extent, in the New Testament, there, there, there's almost an antagonistic defiance of anything that even smells of slavery that tries to get into the church. Anything that tries to impose some legalistic thing. And you find it, you know, you can find people put a spiritual value on organic. It's spirit, oh, oh we're being organic. And it's almost like, and it's like, oh, oh, oh okay, you know. No, no. It's not that it's not better for you, but there's no spiritual virtue in it. Listen to um, Paul in Colossians 2. He says this, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. Let no one. Don't let anyone say, oh, you should be eating that. Don't let them do that. Or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, they are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Amen? These things are shadows. They're pointing towards the one who comes to fulfil it all, Jesus. You see, the early Christians were to resist anyone who tried to impose rules on food and drink, observing certain days as more special or more holy than others. They were not to get caught up with such things. They're shadows. They point to Jesus. Jesus is our meat and drink. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. He's our feast. He's our light. Dead religion tells us that if we don't do or do do certain things, we should be able to attain some kind of righteousness before God. What does the Bible, what does the New Testament tell us? Righteousness comes as a gift. Amen? Amen. Gifted righteousness through faith in Christ. That is the new te- that is the message of freedom that God wants to bring into our lives. This gets even stronger now. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 5. Paul says this, Now the Spirit expressly says in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Okay? Teachings of demons, what is it? What are we talking? Read your board, occult, now listen, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage, first teaching of demon, and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is... Nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, for it's made holy by the word of God and prayer. Freedom! Freedom! You are to enjoy that bacon sandwich. Freedom! Enjoy your cream eclair. To the glory of God. Yeah? Seriously. Enjoy your cream cake. Eat it as worship. Do. Prawn mayo sandwich, anyone? Yeah. Enjoy it to the glory of God. Seriously. Just be thankful. Just be thankful. What's the condition? Be thankful. Acknowledge it comes from God. It's good. Thank you, Jesus. That's the condition. See, Paul here goes as far as to label certain doctrines that were creeping into the church at Ephesus as teachings of demons. The promotion of abstinence from marriage and from certain foods. Paul says no. As long as they receive with gratitude, as long as we're able to thank God with a clear conscience, all is well. No Christian should have a dim view of marriage or abstain from any kind of food on spiritual grounds. It's demonic in the sense you're calling something unclean that God has created and that God calls clean. You're in a disagreement with God. You're resisting him. 
The only thing we need to just flag up quickly is this, is do not use your freedom to destroy your brother and sister in the Lord who is not yet as strong as you in their conscience. Okay? It's very important. So use your, enjoy your freedom. But what if someone's got saved from a Muslim background or something, they've never eaten pork in their life, suddenly they're allowed to, and they're like, this is a big one. This is a hurdle. And they're really wrestling with it. What don't you do? You don't invite them around for your bacon party. Do you know what I mean? Don't do that. Yeah? Because why? Because they're working this thing through. They're not being evil. They're not trying to. They're not trying to impose laws. They're just working it through. They're thinking, oh, this is no. Um, this is a new thing for me. Am I really allowed? And their conscience is still weak. They're used to being under laws. They're used to being dictated to by various restrictions and thinking that God will be pleased if they don't eat certain foods. That's what they're used to. So they're in the process now of their minds being renewed, but they're still tender. They're still sensitive. They're not trying to bring these doctrines in and shake the church, but they're just themselves. They're battling away. Love them. Look, Romans 14 explains what we should do. Paul says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus nothing is unclean in itself, but it's unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother's grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Yeah? Don't do that. It's wrong, it's ungodly. So, well, I'm free. So, if they're, they're, they're conscious, they're struggling, they're battling away, and you just you, you impose that on them. No, that's not, how, that's not love. You walk gently people through it, don't you? But what you never allow is for someone to begin to impose that on your life. Judge you. You shouldn't be doing it. No, you do not. See? You understand? Okay. It's important. So, that's the first wrong approach to be governed by rules in the matter of food. Um, the only rules, if you like, are love for your brother or sister and gratitude. The second wrong approach is rather than to be governed by rules, to be governed by your appetites. We'll struggle with this one a lot more than the first, generally. Not many of us are from strict religious backgrounds with dietary requirements. Some of us are, not many of us are. Most of us are from um, secular backgrounds or uh, um, where really do what you like, or Christian backgrounds where when it comes to food, generally speaking, uh, it's like we don't talk about greed much, do we? We talk about drunkenness more than greed, Bible probably emphasises greed more than drunkenness as a sin. Probably. So we've got to work this one through because um, otherwise we're in danger of becoming unbiblical. So let's look at this, shall we? Um, Philippians 3, verse 18 to 19. Paul says this, For many of whom I've often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glories and their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now notice that. Their God is their belly. What do you do with the, what is, what do you? How do you know what is your God? You obey it. They obey their belly. As soon as their belly says, where are you? Donut! Ah! Drop everything, quick! It's worship. It's a different kind of slavery. It's a different kind of slavery. And we don't touch it much. Um, and you can even feel the atmosphere in the room has completely changed. Because we don't, we don't really go there much on this one. Um, and we tend to, when we're greedy, laugh about it. And even boast about it. And do you know how many pieces, slices of pizza I ate? You know, 400. <laughs> you know, everyone goes, that's great. Well done. Do you know what I mean? I remember once I went out, uh, when I was doing, I had some boys doing a year out, young fellas, you know, uh, we went for a pizza, and the two of them got into a pizza eating competition. And the winner ate 20 slices. 
Yeah. <clears throat> now, big guy, six foot five, huge guy. Um, but then we had a prayer meeting straight away, well, a three hour prayer meeting straight afterwards. <laughs> well, he walked into that prayer meeting room and he walked over to the corner and he lied down in the fetal position because of what he'd done. And I thought, nah. Obviously, he knew I. So I picked him up, put his arm in mine, and I walked him around that room for that prayer meeting. I thought, you're going to eat 20 slices of pizza, you're going to be idolatrous, you need to repent. <laughs> but it's in a oh, great achievement, is it? We need to think it through, don't we? Let's read that John Stock quote again, because I think it's very insightful. There are many slaves in our society today. They proclaim their freedom with a loud voice. They speak of free love and a free life, but in reality they are slaves to their own appetites, to which they give free reign simply because they cannot control them. There's a worship here of the appetite, devotion to it, immediate obedience to it, worship of it. When the appetite shouts, jump, we say, how high? The issue here is greed, and the Bible is clear that greed is a big deal, a massive deal. Listen to 1 Corinthians 5 verse 11. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother, so they call himself a Christian, if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or as an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even eat with such a one. Don't even eat with such a one. It lumps greed in with sexual immorality, drunkenness, being fraudulent. It's the same thing. It's serious stuff. The greedy person brings shame on the gospel and the name of Christ. Brings shame on the gospel. Why? Because their greed declares that actually they're worshipping something else. Um, and there's a lack of concern for others. I would, I, I would honestly say this. The thing that grieves me most, very often, is when there's a, a buffet and there's Christians around. I'm telling you, it is embarrassing and it's grieving. It is embarrassing and it's grieving and it's unchristian the way usually the guys charge in, fill their plates up without any concern for other people. It's exactly what Paul nails the Corinthians for in 1 Corinthians 11, where their bread and wine, he said, you, you cause more damage by, meet, by meeting together than when you don't meet. What would happen was this, there was the rich and there was the poor. The poor would work longer hours. They would, they would have a feast together and part of it was the bread and the wine. The rich would get there earlier because they worked shorter hours and they would stuff themselves, get full up on food and drunk. The poor would arrive and have the scraps. Christian buffets are sometimes like that. It's not the rich and the poor, it's the guys and the girls. And it's a disgrace. It's an absolute sinful disgrace. And I would suggest in future you go to a woman who's there and you say, please can I fill your plate up for you, what would you like? And you fill their plate up before you fill your own up. Otherwise, it's just it's, it's a horrible thing to see. Because by doing it, you're saying, this is my God, so you're transgressing the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and you're trampling over other people, so you're breaking the second commandment, love your neighbour as yourself. And then everyone gives a high five and celebrates it. In addition to it, slavery to the appetite undercuts gospel freedom. Listen to this quote by a commentator called Charles Hodge. It's of great importance to the moral health of the soul that it should preserve its self-control and not be in subjection to any appetite or desire, however innocent that desire in itself may be. This is a scriptural rule which Christians often violate. They are slaves to certain forms of indulgence which they defend on the ground that they are not in themselves wrong, forgetting that it is wrong to be in bondage to any appetite or habit. Let me just say something here. Because I'm skinny... 
People think I don't struggle with this. It's always the bigger people that get cornered on this one. If I fast one meal, my trousers drop. It's about metabolism. Do not make assumptions that those that are at the skinnier end are necessarily at the more worshipful end on this. I've had to really, really deal with myself. It's a continual battle for me, I'll be honest with you. I no longer buy custard creams. My Achilles heel. Is there anything wrong with them? No, God created them, in a sense. <laughs> in a sense. I don't know how that works, but you know what I'm saying? They're clean. They're, what I'm saying? They're clean. There's nothing wrong with them. They're clean. Eat, you know, eat your custard creams and enjoy them. What is the thing with me? I find it hard to, hard to eat them moderately. They just do it for me. I mean, it's like, how can you like those? <laughs> I love them. So I just stop buying them. Now, obviously, what I want to get to, what will be really mature, is that I can eat them moderately, absolutely, but while I can't, that's what I'll do. Because it's not worshipful. And there are other things, you know, I, but I just don't make assumptions simply by, simply by how someone appears as well. It's, you know, because I think it's important that we all just work through this stuff and help each other here. How do you know if you're a slave to your appetite? Um, are you unable to say no successfully to just one more? Can you say no? Or does your world fall apart when you do? Food is highly emotional. Highly emotional. Ever tried fasting? Food is highly emotional. <laughs> you try fasting, you go home, you just want to lie in bed. For, you just want to lie in bed. I don't want to do anything. You're grieving. It's like you're grieving. <laughs> food is, there's more to food than just, uh, you know, it fills us up. No, there's something, there's a social thing, there's an emotional thing. It's a blessing. Are you able to fast? I struggle with fasting. People look at me and think, you must fast five days a week. No, I struggle. I struggle, I struggle, I struggle. I've got more failures of attempted fasts than successes. But I'm not going to give up. But I struggle. I find it hard. Are you stuck in a diet that is full of artificial stimulants and are you unable to improve the situation because the cold turkey would be too much? You live on sugar and caffeine, but you daren't cut it out because you would be on the floor for days. That's slavery. Do you need certain food or drink to keep you in a good mood? The joy of the Lord is your strength. How does that work? These things have a very practical application, don't they? I'm not saying here that food and drink are not to cheer you up. That's biblical. You know, God, it's a blessing, absolutely. But are you okay without your Jaffa cakes? Here's the deal in a nutshell. This is the key verse, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. That's the key verse. Freedom, but on both levels. We are free, so let us stay free. We've been freed from the works of the law, now let's stay free from the lust of the flesh. Okay? So you walk free from the you walk free from all regulation, absolutely, but you regulate yourself to the glory of God. Freedom. Jesus comes to set us free. Free from the law, but free from sin. Free from all false gods with their wicked and cruel demands and from the demands of our corrupt desires that want to rule and reign over us. No, you, Jesus wants you to walk free. It's not about Jesus making it worse, it's about Jesus making it better. So you can enjoy your eclair to the glory of God, knowing that you chose to have it. He didn't choose to have you. Different dynamic, isn't it? We're free to feast, we're free to fast. We're free to say yes, we're free to say no. We're free to enjoy, we're free to abstain. We are mastered by nothing except Jesus. You like that? 
That's worship. That's the worshipful life. That is food as worship. That's how it works. Jesus, through his life, demonstrates perfect freedom. He was able to fast 40 days in the wilderness. And yet, he was known as a glutton and a drunkard. Because he was at parties and he enjoyed being around. and he enjoyed, he was, yeah, He demonstrated perfect freedom. Wasn't mastered by anything. Lived that life for you. So that righteousness of that perfectly lived life could be given to you as a gift. Then he died on the cross where he was punished for every act of disobedience to God and slavery to sin that we have done. Every time you've been a slave in the area of food, Jesus was judged for on the cross. And then he rose again. After having lived for you and died for you, he rose again for you to take you into a life of worship and a life of freedom. This is Christianity. It is glorious. <laughs> it is absolutely glorious. It's true freedom. It's true freedom. And that's God's heart for you. That's the scriptures. That's my heart for you. Walk in it. Walk in it. Resist regulations. Resist greed. Amen? Amen. Amen. What should we do? Very good question. It's a very good question. I've given you everything, says to Noah, and then the verse before or after says, but just don't eat the food with the blood in it because the life's in the blood. And then that's the conclusion they came to in Acts 15, the Council of Jerusalem as well. So it's a very good question. To be honest, I would say at this stage, I'm probably not clear on it, but while I'm not clear on it, I don't eat food with blood in it. No, because I'm not clear on it. So because I'm not clear on it, it would trouble my conscience to do so. Yeah? So you just need to think that one through and study that through for yourself. Don't, make, don't jump to assumptions and conclusions. That's a really good point. I'm so glad you brought it up. Thank you. John. Right. Very good. Yes, very good. People who decide, Christians who decide to go vegetarian or vegan. I think everything you decide, you need to be able to, it needs to come under scrutiny, doesn't it? You need to have good friends that are going to put it under scrutiny with you so you can give your reasons for why. So I would say, why have you chosen to do that? And what you want to get, here's what you want to get to. You want to work out whether it's coming out of a worldview, an animal rights worldview, which is basically Darwinian, we're all evolved animals, so really we're all of the same worth or value, um, therefore it's just as bad to club a seal to death as it is to have an abortion. That's really the current worldview in lots of areas, isn't it? And you want to completely challenge that in the Christian mind. It's utterly unbiblical, unscriptural, gives no, um, gives no um, credence to the fact that we've been made in the image of God and that we are completely different. Um, by the same token, we buy eggs that are free-range. Because we just look at all those chickens cooked up on a cage and we just think, we don't like that. Because I think part of what we were, Adam and Eve were ordained to do was, was to govern the creation well. So I think there's a responsibility on us to, for creation and for the animals. We're, we are, we're, we're representatives of God and God loves his creation, doesn't he? So I think you, there, there is a responsibility to think, stuff, think things through there. But if you say, I think it's wrong to eat meat, then you've been deceived by demonic teaching. Yes. And that you, you need to come through that. If you so, but if you so, you know, so I, so I think if you point blank 
go on to vegetarianism on that front, and I think that's probably what's happened. I can't think what another reason would be. But if it's health reasons, or I just don't like meat, or I've never eaten meat in my life because of how I was brought up, now the thought of it just freaks me out. Well, it's just life. It's no big deal. But you, what you want to help people through on is a wrong worldview. Yeah? Okay. I mean, Ollie. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes. Food sacrifice to idols. Very good. There's a big discussion at one Corinthians uh, chapter eight, I think, um, and I think in, is it in Romans as well. Definitely 1 Corinthians chapter 8, big discussion there. Where Paul seems to, Paul seems to say that... Um, um, oh, man, you know, to be honest, it's almost a sermon in itself because it's actually quite, it's, it's quite a big deal. Um, the culture there would be this. Um, they live in an idolatrous culture blatantly and basically uh, pretty much loads of food would be offered up to idols and then it would go into the market and be sold. And Paul's general line is this, if you don't know one way or the other, it's no big deal, just buy it and eat it because an idol is nothing. If you do particularly, specifically know it's been offered up to an idol, then you're just going to probably create conscience crisis for other people and stuff, so probably best to steer clear of it. So if you don't know, don't worry because there's no power in idols anyway. If you do know, then probably steer clear of it because you could just, a non-Christian could look at you and, and, and get the wrong idea about what you believe because you're knowingly eating meat, sacrificed to idols. That's generally Paul's logic, he goes down those two roads there. However, in the early chapters of Revelation where Jesus speaks to the churches, he actually condemns one of the churches for uh, tolerating those who teach that it's okay to eat food sacrificed to idols. So, on that one, I again, like the food with the, the blood thing, I've got some thinking to do there. But I would say if you're not sure, don't do it. They're halal. Most of them are halal. Now that's different. All that means is it means that they've been killed in such a way that um, um, it's to do with the dripping of the blood, isn't it? Yeah? So they've been killed in such a way so it doesn't cause offence to, to, to Muslims. But Muslims can eat it. I think that is different from saying we've offered it to Allah. It comes out of their belief system, I recognise that, but I think that's a slightly different thing. But it's a good, it's a point well raised. Fox. Go on. I may be wrong. Go on, you t- so they do what? Okay, I think, I think probably what I would say is, here's the deal. Here's the bottom line that I'm absolutely sure on. If you're not sure of anything as a Christian, don't do it. Now, I know you might want more detail than that, but that's actually a big deal. Because I think Christians often transgress their conscience because of what others will think of them. Sin. Yes. And so, and yes. their things are from like different countries, different religions, sure. different like, yeah. they have like things down to halal marshmallows and things like that. So yeah, I know you can get them. But yeah, so Right, yeah. I think I mean I think I think what I wish I could give you more help on this. 
Um, but, you know, I'd much rather stand before you and say, I need to study this one more than just pretend. I think that would be really uh, bad. <gasps> so I think what I'm saying is this. I think what, what Paul is definitely teaching in 1 Corinthians 8 is there is no power in false gods. So you're not to fear it. Oh, you know, da, 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 da. But if it could be perceived wrongly, if you could be taken in a wrong way, people, you think, oh, you're a Christian, but you're eating that. Or maybe you believe in Islam as well. Then you need to just be aware of that. You don't want to cause others to stumble. But there's this, this one reference in Revelation 2 or 3 that, where Jesus seems to speak quite strongly about it. And I need to just do some more reading, commentaries, before I can give you any more on that. But until you're sure, don't do it is the best principle. Fina. Yes. Yes. Very, very good. We all know, don't we, on our journey with Jesus, he highlights different things at different times. Amen? Amen. Yeah? If he highlighted everything in one go, we'd all collapse and fall to the floor, wouldn't we? So you really got to be in relationship with people, walking stuff through and talking about things and trusting that when God brings it up, you know, it comes up. You do not want to create an environment of judgmental kind of harshness. I know what God's doing with you now because he might not be doing it, he might be doing something else. So you just honour what the Holy Spirit is doing, but you're there to work it through with one another in relationship, you know. So I think particularly in a local church where we're, we're journeying together, making disciples of one another, sharpening one another, feel free to ask the questions, sure, but don't assume you know that God is highlighting this particular thing now. It could be something totally different. Otherwise you get a Pharisaic spirit where you're basically just looking for things wrong in other people and you just miss what's wrong in you. It's a nightmare, isn't it? You know, to have a church full of Pharisees, you know, you might as well just stop and start again, you know. Um, so, yeah, I would say on that front, just in love, sensitive to what the Holy Spirit's doing, but I think as well, if you're, if you're the person who's in that place, don't be ashamed, whatever you do, in an ungodly sense. Do you know what I mean? Who do you trust? Who do you want help and support from? Go and speak to them about it. They're not going to judge you. If they do, I'll have a word of them. <laughs> you know, because we've all got our issues, haven't we? One more question. John. What does the Bible say about um, people who are perhaps slaves to food, but in terms of in the opposite way, rather than greed, they're scared of, scared of it and eating too much. Eating disorders, that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, th- I guess I kind of, again, it's a bit of a sermon in itself, because it's not actually about food. Food is the tool in the eating disorder, it's the weapon, if you like. But the issue is not generally about food. It tends to be about, um, it tends to be about understanding of identity. Um, you know, made in the image of God, made fearfully and wonderfully, that whole thing seems to have just been lost, in, lost somewhere on the journey. And they're ba- basically just um, hating themselves very often. Um, and, and there's a deception that comes in where they f- often feel they look overweight and all that sort of thing, and everyone else is looking on thinking, man alive, you look like you're going to die at any moment. And there's just this deception. It's tragic. It really is tragic. And it, it, you know, so I don't think it's, a, it's almost not about food, the issue there is, is finding who you are before God and being happy with that. You know, So it's kind of a more fundamental issue. Food is just in that mix somewhere and can become a big deal in the mind. But actually, I don't think it's, it's what the deal is about. The deal is that you know you've been made by God and he really loves you as you are. Just enjoy you know, walking that. That, that, can, that can sound simple, but sometimes you have to walk a long time with people through that. If, th- if this is you, if you've got ongoing eating disorders, then, you know, listen, the Lord wants to bring you freedom there. The Lord wants to bring you freedom there. It's absolutely not his will that you live under that. Because it's just, it's a captivity, you know. And um, free, it's all about freedom. Whichever way you look at it, what's it about? What's God want to do? Freedom. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.
Oh God, thank you so much for giving us the Bible with all of its wisdom, Lord, all of your wisdom. Hallelujah. 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 I want us to welcome the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask for words of knowledge, ask for the Lord to just um, begin to speak to people specifically. Let's just all, let's welcome the Holy Spirit here together. Lord, we